0: Welcome this morning. We're going to be talking about uh, Job chapter 15 through 17. And I would like to start off, if you could just go ahead, kind of how Becky did last week, but go ahead and close your eyes, just take some deep breaths so we can be present and settled. And then as you're sitting there and taking these deep breaths, I want to let you just let your mind wander over the last week and ask God to bring to mind a memory that you were grateful for. And then if something comes up just kind of settle into that memory. Notice how that memory makes you feel in your body. Pay attention to your senses. What feelings do you And then as you're in that memory that you're grateful for, just invite Jesus to show you where he was in that memory. We know from Scripture that God, that Jesus is always with us. And so it's just asking him to heighten your awareness of that moment. So this grateful moment that God has brought to mind, just ask Jesus to show you where he was and what he was doing with you in that moment that you were grateful for. God, we are so grateful for how you have with us. Lord, open our minds and our hearts to whatever you have for us today. We are grateful, Lord. In Jesus' name we
1: pray.
0: Amen. Okay, we're going to start off by reading uh, chapter 15 of Job. And I want you to pay attention to a couple things. Because this is Eliphaz, and he is like the shame monger. So he's going to be just doling it out to Job. And I want you to be thinking about kind of putting yourself in Eliphaz's place. What is he thinking? What is he feeling? What motivations may he be having? And just think about, kind of see past his words. definitely not notice his words, but then look past those words to what might be going on internally with Eliphaz. Especially how he perceives God.
2: Senator my reading chapter 24? Eliphaz of Timmons spoke a second time. If you were truly wise, would you sound so much like a windbag belching hot air? Would you talk nonsense in the middle of a serious argument babbling baloney? Look at you. You trivialize religion, turn spiritual conversation into empty gossip. It's your sin that taught you to talk this way. You chose an education in fraud. Your own words have exposed your guilt. It's nothing I've said, you've incriminated yourself. Do you think you're the first person to have to deal with these things? Have you been around as long as the hills? Were you listening in when God planned all this? Do you think you're the only one who knows anything? What do you know that we don't know? What insights do you have? Grey beards and white hair, back us up old folks who've been around a lot longer than you. Are God's promises not enough for you, spoken so gently and tenderly? How do you let your emotions take over, lashing out and spitting fire, hitting your whole being against God by letting words like this come out of your mouth? Do you think it's possible for any mere mortal to be sinless in God's sight? For anyone born of a human mother to get it all together? Why, God can't even trust his holy angels. He sees the flaws in in the very heavens themselves. So how much less we humans, smelly and foul, who lap up evil like water. I have a thing or two to tell you, so listen up. I'm letting you in on my views. It's that wise men and women have always taught, holding nothing back from what they were taught by their parents, back in the days when they had this land all to themselves.
1: Mm -hmm. Those who
2: live by their own rules and not God's, expect nothing but trouble. And the longer they live, the worse it gets. Every little sound terrifies them just when they think they haven't made disaster strikes. They despair of things ever getting better. They're on the list of people for whom things always turn out for the worse. They wander here and there, never knowing where the next meal is coming from. Every day is doomsday. They live in constant terror, always with their backs up against the wall, because they insist on shaking their fists at God, defying God Almighty to his face, always and ever at odds with God, always on the defensive. Even if they're the picture of health, trim and fit and youthful, they'll end up living in a ghost town, sleeping in a hobble not fit for a dog, a ramshackle shack. They'll never get ahead, never amount to much of anything. And then death. Don't think they've escaped that. They'll end up shriveled weeds brought down by a puff of God's breath. There's a lesson here. Whoever invests in lies gets lies for interest. Paid in full before the due date. Some investment. They'll be like fruit frost-killed before it ripens. Like buds cheered off before they bloom. The godless are fruitless. A barren crew. A life built on bribes goes up in smoke. (coughs) They have sex with sin and give birth to evil their lives are wounds for breeding deceit.
0: Thank you, Becky. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so, LFS has lots of words. He has lots of strong feelings. What do you think his feelings might be? What's he trying to do? And I'm a teacher, I've gotta have participation, so y'all gonna have, I'm gonna <laughs> call on you. You look away. Any ideas what he may be feeling? This is his friend. We know this is his friend. He sat with him for days, didn't speak. But now he's kind of to the, all right, it's time to be past it phase of dwelling with grief, right? So what's he trying to do? What does he think is causing Job's, this is kind of a review from last week. What does he think is causing Job's pain and suffering?
3: Yeah, go ahead. I'm always... No, no. He, he, he thinks that he's not right with God. Right. And, and he knows Job, and he knows what right looks like.
0: Yes. And this doesn't
3: look right, so there's something wrong with
0: him. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So he thinks he has unrepentant sin, right? Mm-hmm. So he thinks Job is unrepentant. So this is his tough love approach to Job. And so he's trying to lay down the law, say, hey, this is what's going on. These are all the things. Why don't you turn from this? Look how arrogant you are that you think that you're somehow justified before God. And so what is Eliphaz's view of God? How does he view God? I'll make it multiple choice. Does he view God as like a loving father? Does he view God as um, a companion in suffering? Does he view God as like a judge? How does he view God? What do you see in when he's naming these things?
4: sees God
5: as the judge, even if he sees
2: the things that he created, the errors in it.
0: Right. Very good. And so he does. He sees it as the judge. He sees him as like the enforcer of all things transactional, right? So if you have this hidden sin, then God is going to keep at you until you name that sin. And if you're lying about it, because he really gets graphic with his description of what happens to liars, I mean, it reminds me a little of my grandmother, you know, of like, hey, this is what's going to happen. You know, if you tell lies or you tell tales, this is, this is what's going to happen. So he gets really graphic in that description. And so here are the accusations. And just to know, like Eliphaz is approaching this from a stance of trying to shame Job into submission. And I don't know if he would name it that way. Uh, but we see that in his language and in his words, and so I made two columns, like the accusations, and you see how he's just like hacking away at all of his identity and who he is and what he believes about himself. So if you were truly wise, and so that translates into you don't know what you th- well you don't know what you're talking about, you know, of like what are, you don't know what you're talking about, talking nonsense in the middle of serious conversation, babbling baloney. That is a new one for me. So babbling baloney. So he's just like, just espousing all of this stuff. You aren't smart enough to understand these spiritual matters. This would be like, you can't hang with the big guys. Like you, you're just babbling baloney. You think you're smart, but you really don't know. And then trivializing trivializing religion. So turn spiritual conversations into empty gossip. So these are serious things, Job, and you're just making them frivolous. You're getting all in your emotions in your field. Do you think you were the first person to deal with these things? And so now he's coming at it from, oh, there are so many that have it worse for you, Jen. From There are so many that have it worse than you do, Job. Like, this is, come on. Like, you're not the first person to suffer. You're not the first person to have all of these issues. Do you think you're smarter and better than everybody else? And then he keeps on. Are God's promises not enough for you? Why are you so emotional? <coughs> you think you're better than the angels? Humans are disgusting and foul and lap up evil like water. You think generation after generation got it wrong and suddenly you have this epiphany that you have it right about God? Do you want it your way or do you want it God's way? How do all these things kind of hit you? Not very comfortable. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it's not comforting at all like job is in is on all this pain and hurt and then this is all the stuff that he's laying on him even if it's from a place of goodness it's like trying to get him force him into repentance because he thinks that will alleviate his pain or at least move him away from that yes but,
3: um, from um, Elphaz's perspective it, it's it's hmm. I get the, the words I'm yeah. terrible with words sometimes. But um, he's feeling like um, this doesn't happen. This happened to you, and this can't happen to me because I'm right with God. So, right. So he's not he's not looking at it from Job's viewpoint on why this might happen. He knows why it's happening, yeah. and he's putting a, a, there's a boundary here. Mm-hmm. What's happened to you. Is not happening to me because I'm right with God, so you must not be. Right. You can't be right with God and this happened.
0: Exactly. And so it's that movement, right? Of like that movement away from you. Yes. Which is kind of what we talked about last week, but like that prosperity gospel of like if you're prospering, things must be right. And we even acknowledge that like that's the undercurrent. That's not those conscious thoughts that we think, but we think, well, you must have done something wrong. Like, I need you to have done something wrong to suffer like this so that I know I can do it right and not suffer. Mm-hmm. So it's that movement. So it's almost like a self-comforting move, isn't it? Yeah. To kind of like put that arm out and distance that. And have you noticed that in your own movement when people are when people are suffering? Kind of like, uh, I, I have. I've noticed that in myself.
3: I I notice more in generalities, you know, where people uh, have such a hard time and it just seems like they keep getting knocked down, and I think, well, you know, they don't,
1: they're not
0: doing it right. Yeah. Yeah. If you did this and you, you saw that, and I even find myself in my head, like intellectualizing it. Well, if they had made this choice instead of that choice, and sometimes that's true, right? Sometimes those are legitimate, legitimate things, but then sometimes it's just not. Sometimes there's just suffering that we don't understand and we don't we don't get, we don't bring it on ourselves. And so then he talks about liars because he's gone through this whole thing. Job is still holding fast to who he is and what he believes. And so then he attacks him as a liar. And I wanted to go through all of those accusations of shame because I think more than what we would say those out loud to somebody else. I think sometimes when we're dealing with our own suffering, that's the internal voice we have in our head. That when we're hurting, we're like, well, why am I, why am I hurting about this? Such and such has it so much worse. And then, I, I don't think I did that wrong, but maybe I'm being punished for this. And, you know, maybe I did do something wrong. And what do I know? You know, what, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe, you know, the generations before me, you know, they they think this, and they're telling me this is wrong, even though I felt like God is telling me this. And so it's that that thought spiral that we have. And so I think Eliphaz, more often than not, and push back if I'm completely off on that, kind of represents sometimes our internal critic, or our internal monologue that we have when we're suffering. Does that resonate at all, especially with... I think especially with shame. Yes?
6: Well, to me, his, Eliphaz and his friends are surprised by the depth of trouble that doves in. Yeah. They're not used to being around suffering, perhaps. Mm.
1: Yeah.
6: The more I'm around suffering, the more I enter other people's suffering, the more a uh, practice I have with that, the more God is going to use me. You know, but if I'm just not around suffering a lot, and I choose not to be, it's nice. like a fireman, right? I mean, he's going into the burning room. Right. The rest of us are running the other way. Yeah. So maybe some of this is they're just so shocked at how the depth of despair their friend is in mm-hmm. and how much they're suffering, because they're just, they're living the good life.
0: Yeah.
1: You know. Yeah, and I think- they're at the club.
0: Yes, that's exactly it. You know, if like that doesn't happen to our people, right? That happens to them. And so he was one of us, and now he's suffering like that. And that's gotta like throw them off internally. I think you named it really well. And <laughs> like when you're in grief and suffering, you know, even um, even our brothers and sisters in other countries who who are in suffering continually, they approach this much differently than we do. Like this seems to throw us a bit differently than it does people who expect suffering. That it's not, it's not something that's, that's uncommon. You know, this is just part of life. But I think kind of in our culture, um, especially where we are and how we live, generally speaking, we're kind of distanced from some of that in some ways. And so I think you named that really well. When you suffer with people, then you, it's like putting out fires. Like what is scary initially, You get very accustomed to being there there with people in that, and so that's great. Something
3: personal too is what uh, we waited so long to have a child, and I um, wanted our our, our child to be perfect because Mm. it was a reflection on me. Mm. And when um, when he wasn't, it was like you know I just I, I felt so guilty about it. I never enjoyed Mac. Growing up as much as I do, my grandkids. My grandkids are they're perfect. No matter even when they're being, yeah. you know, awful. Yeah. I just think they're just, they're ador- they're just adorable. Right. But right. my only child, it was it was like you know, well, that looks badly on me yeah. if they talk back, if they, whatever, whatever, even minor infraction. Yeah. So that was just that was
0: just. That's it's perfect. Hard. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. Like you were too wound up in that initially yes. and then now you're getting the experience of the yes. Just loving and enjoying. Right. Instead of and making it. And I see it. it much more because of my grandkids yeah. too that I just, I enjoyed it. Oh, that's great. I love that. Um, anything else? Any other comments, especially on the shame part? i can put that back up. Do you recognize some of these voices and some of these things? that Eliphaz gives gives language to for Job? Man, I did. It was very convicting. I think Eliphaz wants to have control.
4: control. Yes. And if you know, do this,
0: then
4: this happens. Mm-hmm.
0: And so
5: he wants Job out of it. And yeah. this is how you can get out of his
0: control. Yes, that's perfect. And Job calls him out on that in the next Next two chapters, I can't remember which one. They're saying the same thing of like they cling so tight to try to keep it mm-hmm. under control. And also notice Eliphaz's view of humanity. And so there's this huge separation between God is disgusted by humans. It's kind of that that image too. Like God tolerates humans. Like if if the spiritual beings can't be perfect, then how do you think in Look at the language, humans are disgusting and foul and lap up evil like water. Like that, you know, that part of how he views humanity, I think also plays into this. But he doesn't put himself in that. It's kind of a distance from that. So it's, yeah, this is humanity, but I'm different. Yes?
4: He, he doesn't even stop with humans. He says God cannot
5: trust the holy ones around him in heaven. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's it. Just the whole depravity of everything. Yes. That's good. All right. Let's look at the liar part. So he's very graphic in how he talks about liars. And it's one of those things that's hyperbole.
1: You know, as he goes through,
0: it's like, not only, you know, will you never have a place to lay your head, not only will everything in your life completely go wrong, even death will not give you relief. You know, he goes on so graphic about how he goes through there. Every day it's doomsday, never get ahead, never amount to anything. Uh, Whoever invests in lies gets lies for interest, paid in full before the due date. I mean, this is very graphic imagery of where he's trying to control and manipulate and, like, get Job to that place of where he'll see his wickedness and see and finally admit that he has done something wrong. And if not, he's really going to, like, get into that. Very graphic imagery with that, because he's assumed that Job is a liar. And so what is Job feeling on the other side of this? What would you name, like, Job's top three emotions? And we'll get into his his stuff in a minute, but just kind of... (coughs) You were Job, and this is your best friend... I think he maybe wasn't my best friend. <laughs> that's what I was thinking too. <laughs> I'm thinking I need a new best friend. <laughs> that's, that's very good, yes. I think he's terribly
3: frustrated too. Because he yes.
1: doesn't
0: know what's going on. Right, and so frustrated. Is, and trying to explain it,
3: you know, yeah. what he's going
0: through. Yeah, misunderstood. Isolation, isolation and despair. Yes, oh. isolation and despair. Misunderstood. And so not only is he suffering but now like even the connection that he had is being taken away if he's my best friend
4: uh, maybe all my other friends are taken too yeah
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah and i think some confusion too you know like this is somebody who's known him and then all of a sudden like he's suffering and, and they're rethinking everything about him i
6: have a bucket of ashes handy I oh. go back to when they were dumping ashes on themselves yeah it's insane Yes. Like, let's go back to that. You know, yeah. that was helpful. When you were dumping and with you. Right. So, shut up. Here's the mass. Just sit there. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Well, and to point out what you said with me. Yeah. That you were with me. And so, just noticing that moment from with to against. Like, with to against. And so, moving into that. And then, here is Job's part. So, his friend is approaching suffering through the lens of shame, and then Job is showing us how to suffer well. And I look at Job, and I'm like, wow, you know, uh, he knew who he was. So, he starts off, and let's go ahead, uh, do you mind reading chapter 15 for us, and just notice how he describes himself.
7: Then Job defended himself. I've had all I can take of your talk. What a bunch of miserable comfort. Is there no end to your win-back speeches? What's your problem that you go on and on like this? If you were in my shoes, I could just talk like you. I could put together a terrific tirade and really let you have it. But I'd never do that. I'd console and comfort, make things better, not worse. When I speak up, I feel no better. If I say nothing, that doesn't help either. I feel worn down. God... You have wasted me totally, me and my hand. You shriveled me like a dried prune, showing the world that you're against me. My soft face stares back to me, and you mirror, a mute witness to your treatment. Your anger tears us. Your teeth rip me to shreds. Your eyes burn holes in me. God, my enemy. People take one look at me and gasp. You contemptuous. They slap me around and bang up against me. And God just stands there and lets them do it. Lets wicked people do what they want. I was contentedly minding my business when God beat me up. He grabbed me by the neck and threw me around. He set me up as his target, then rounded up archers to shoot me. Merciless, merciless, they shot me full of arrows. Bitter vile poured from my gut to the ground. He burst in on me, onslaught after onslaught, charging me like a mad bull. I sewed myself a shroud and wore it like a shirt. I lay face down in the dirt. Now my face is blotched red from me. Look at the dark shadows under my eyes. Even though I've never hurt a soul, and my prayers are sincere. Oh, earth, don't cover up the wrong done to me. Don't muffle my cry. There must be someone in heaven who knows the truth about me, in highest heaven, some attorney who can clear my name. My champion, my friend, while I'm leaving my eyes out before God, I appeal to the one who represents mortals before God as a neighbor stands up for neighbor. Only a few years are left before I
0: set out on the road of no return. Mm, thank you. And so, to notice too, before we move into all of Job's grief, they will, Eliphaz wielded the name of God several times in his speech to Job. And I had a great quote from um, Eugene Peterson that said, What can those of us who know the end of the story learn from Eliphaz? that words spoken authoritatively about God aren't necessarily authoritatively true. And neither are accusations against others, regardless of how authoritatively they're voiced. We aren't judged by the bluster of our prosecutors, and we aren't judged by a jury of our peers. We are judged by God. Only he is wise enough to sift through the evidence and render a just verdict. And so just noticing that speech of Eliphaz and just how assured he felt that he was speaking for God and even defending God, and then how that landed, and we know how the story ends, that he is reprimanded for that. And so now, job of how to suffer well. So Job is securing his identity. Like he doesn't kind of shriek back and be like, "Oh, you know what?" Maybe I need to rethink. You know, maybe I don't. Or you're right, I overspoke and I don't know what I'm doing. He did not shrink back. Like, Job knew who he was. He was very secure. He knew what he had done. And he knew what he had not done. And he did not feel the need to, like, take on what this person was dishing out for him. He was very secure in who he was. Good boundaries. He had great boundaries. He does not take the shame that he's done. And he comes back. Like, I love how he stands up and says, win bag speeches, and, you know, what are you doing? And even naming of like, I could do the same tirade, but I wouldn't do that with you. And he even names what he needs. He said, I need consolation and comfort. I need consolation and comfort from you. You're giving me this, I need that. And then he voices his pain and helplessness to God with visceral, vulnerability, and honesty, which is representative of intimacy. And so shame is the opposite of intimacy. So shame moves us away from God. Being honest and vulnerable, that moves us toward God. And you see how he's naming these things. I'm like, this is how it feels. This is how I'm feeling, God. It feels like you just grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and you hung me up here and let people shoot their arrows at me. And that's visceral and vulnerable. There is nothing smooth about that. There is nothing that makes that easier for anybody else to handle or feel better. He's just being very viscerally honest in his grief. Just that that really <laughs> raw honesty. And then I love the part though. being called a liar. Lie. He's begging for everything to be brought into the light. Hiding nothing. And you see Jobs hard in this, right? Of like... Bring it all out into the light. Somebody stand up for me. Somebody somebody tell the truth. You know, like he's not trying to hide anything. He is literally naked and vulnerable before God and just pouring out all of his heart around that. How is this different from how we sometimes grieve?
4: Got next question. I think it starts with that the the difficulty of number one there, yeah of keeping that security in your identity. I mean how if you're in joke shoes yeah. and your friends are saying what they're saying, you're experiencing what you're experiencing, yeah it's hard to keep confidence that that you didn't mess it up somehow right, right? you you start questioning everything internally, yeah, and that's confusion and
0: disorientation, those kinds of things, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I agree. It's
5: good. I think sometimes it's hard to, the, the term toxic positivity Oh. Yes. So, keeping perspective, but not, like mm-hmm. perspective that's realistic and grounded, yeah. but also not getting into the toxic, of uh, that toxic positivity, <coughs> um, uh, at, at its hard. I think it yeah. can yeah. be speaking and kind of not be more all of knowing where you are embracing the lack of control or comfort or something like awesome was. Perspective, like mm-hmm. That's hard for me. Yeah. And like the emotional pull towards one hinge with another I feel
0: like is something that I struggle with. Yeah, I'm suffering. No, that's so it is, And I think that's one of the things we want to fix it for people and make it better. And so we think when we give those comforting words, that oh, you know, look on the bright side, it's going to be okay that, that that's actually a movement away. And I'll, I'll share the story just because it, it kind of evokes that. Um, I went through some different things this year and uh, some pretty significant losses. and, and I, had, I was on a trip with my best friends, and they are precious, wonderful people, and I adore them. And I noticed of like they asked me a question about it, and they said, "Well, you know, how are you handling this? I was honest." And I said, I, "I'm really struggling. Like I'm having a really hard time with this. And then one of them, they listened, but then they came back and they said, but let's look on the bright side. No, at least blah, 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 blah. And I felt that internal shift, like I, it felt good almost like to be able to speak this stuff out loud of what I've been struggling with. And I felt some relief from that. But then as soon as that was spoken, and so well-meaning, and I've done it a million times, i like, there is no judgment at all. Um, but I felt like myself go back, and then I started feeling really lonely. Mm-hmm. And it just felt like I'd been left alone. And then I had to make jokes about it, or then I had to like, because then I could tell it was making them feel uncomfortable,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then I felt like I needed to move into taking care of them space. And so then it was like, ooh, okay. And I thought, man, I wrote about that when I got back because I was like, that was a true experience of what I've done a million times to other people. And even with my children, my daughter was upset about something. And usually I go into like, okay, we'll fix it. Da-da-da-da-da. This is what you need to do. Here's the plan. And the other day, and I kept doing that, and it kept making her emotion go up. And so I was like, okay, this is not working. And so I, I just backed off and I said, wow, that sounds really hard. And she just took a breath and she goes, it is. And like her whole body just relaxed and that's just what she needed. It was like, okay. And so it is kind of that counter movement to be with instead of fixing or trying to make it okay and trying to insert control or make it it all right, kind of clean it all up. Because it, it just, that movement toward and with instead of clean and backing up. Then he goes further, and I love this. Um, he calls out their need for control, and somebody already named that. That was so good. Um, and names this as creating more separation and adding pain to his suffering. He was like, you're adding to my suffering. I'm already hurting here. And then you're making me feel worse. And then his friends are crushing his hope. And that was something that really stood out. In the next chapter at the end, and I'm not sure we'll have time to read all the way through it, but he talks about that they will bury him and hope together like he will not let go of his hope but that is that his friends seem content to like bury him and bury his hope and he calls it a double funeral it's like bury all of that together and i thought how beautiful that he's still holding on to that hope and he sees his friends as trying to crush that hope and then he names um and this is chapter 17 that, um, and we don't have time to read all the way through it, but it's really good if you want to read chapter 17. It's pretty short. Um, But he he calls out, he was like, you have not given me one scrap of wisdom in everything that you've said. Not one scrap. Can you think of a time when somebody, when you did not get one scrap of wisdom from somebody? (coughs) Can you think of a time with that? Yeah, and to name his discernment he discerned that this is not wisdom that he noticed this is pushing him towards shame and guilt and that anything of God increases faith, hope, and love and so instead of increasing faith, hope, and love they are crushing hope and heaping shame and so he is discerning well And that's a way that we can discern too. That if something is increasing faith, hope, and love, then we know that's from God. If something is crushing our hope and moving us into desolation and darkness, keeping shame on our heads, something is wrong with us, we are not really loved, then that's not of God. That's something else. And so Job has the wisdom to notice that movement. And then, what do you do to stay connected to God when you are disappointed by God's people? This is a hard question. So, what do you do to stay connected to God when you are disappointed by God's people? Yes.
1: I just
4: have to journal my prayer and make it and so I just kind of uh, have a meeting with God and explain my disappointments mm-hmm. and name them. And uh, there's comfort in just being an opportunity to God. Yeah, to God.
0: That's so good. And so kind of what joke did, <coughs> It's <was just> like <coughs> it all before God, just all those visceral pain and suffering, and just name it before God. And then how do you experience God? When do you do
4: that, there's a real comfort in, of course, he knew already, but there's real comfort in the intimacy of him knowing. It's it's kind of a relief off my shoulders. There's not as much weight there because I know that God does understand. And mm-hmm. Does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank
1: you. Hey, please.
2: What do you think gives Job the freedom to be honest, not just about what he's feeling, but about what he's feeling about God? Because mm-hmm. I can often bring how I'm honestly feeling about people or church or a situation to God. Yeah. But Job says some really harsh things about God. Yeah. Um, and and I find myself self-monitoring when I start to get there. Uh, uh-huh. You know, when I'm in a when I'm in spiritual direction and I'm telling my spiritual director yeah. what I'm feeling, I, I self-monitor and say, oh, but I know that God's not doing that or I know that's not true. Um, and Joe doesn't do that. He, yeah. he just says what he says. What do you think gives him the confidence to do that?
0: I don't know, that's a great question. What do you think gives him the confidence to do that?
6: Anybody? I think he's being honest. Uh, yeah. This is really how he, how he feels. And I think, yeah, yeah
7: there's there's definitely some comedy there in, the, in, yeah. his, in his response, what he says back to his friends, mm-hmm. but the bulk of the chapter is really this time that he right. God. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and so, some, like we said last week, it's like he's putting God on trial. Yeah. He had to go back to that heavenly court that he didn't even know about. Yeah. And he mm-hmm. said, where's my mediator? Where's my law? Yeah. And I think we tend to, at a, at a surface level, read that and blame Joe. Mm-hmm. And again, one of the light bulbs that's coming me is that maybe the author of the point here is saying is allowing Job to be our mouthpiece, yeah. and the voice how we really feel in the midst of suffering? Just like mm-hmm. you were you, saying, you're prejudice. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what, to me, yeah. that, the, the author is allowing Job to be yeah. for us. Yeah. Is, is to express our feelings.
0: Oh, that's good. So, being honest. How do you think? God, how do you think Job sees God differently to know it fast? Or even maybe us. Yes. I
6: think it's... I think a lot... I, I'll get the chance maybe to ask Joe personally one day. <laughs> <laughs> a thousand years to sit down and listen to music. But he has practiced in training, <clears throat> it seems. This is not the first time that Job has practiced ins, introspection, personal inventory, Experience with God. This, 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 he was prepared for it, and God even challenged Satan with that. You know, have you considered my servant Joe? I mean, he has some experience with God already, and, and uh, you know, and, and those, in, those in recovery have to do personal inventory, they have to do a big one at least once, They have to do a daily one. You know.
1: Yeah.
6: Um. It's it's not his first. A trip to the rodeo, I, I don't yeah. think. I, maybe he's a small crisis and struggling throughout his entire life. I don't think you just wake up some morning when there's a huge problem and expect to have this kind of relationship with God.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think that's... You just named it, too. I think it's part of the wrestling of, like, relationship. Like, he's had a long-standing relationship with God. And I think, too, of... Um, the illustration that's coming up for me is um, if you've had children or if not you were a child at some point and do you remember like if you were gonna act up where did you act up did you act up in like school you know where you had more of a formal relationship or did you act up at home with your parents you know where did the stuff eke out that's where you felt safest you know and so if you if you're experiencing it I see with Job of like he feels incredibly safe with God like, there's this heaven and relationship that he knows he has with God, and he knows God can handle all of his grief. And man, he's laying in a And it's one of those things of like, um, and he reversed it this time. I'm so glad you brought that up. Of like he was putting God on trial, and now it's like, I'm on trial. Somebody help. You know, that kind of shift in that.
4: Huh? Everything you say is true. That, that last sentence, he, yeah. he cried out in the middle of what he said. He cried out for help. Isn't there someone... That will, that will bear the truth. And I think that, that what that speaks to me is we have Jesus. And that's where, that's where I go. When I get really frustrated, I have to black out everything else and go to Jesus and how Jesus lived and how he was with people and what I believe about how he would respond to the different things and know that, that when people responded in a way that he didn't agree with, he just asked him questions. He didn't he didn't jump in and say you're wrong about that. He, so much as he as he just went ahead and modeled through his life what, what it was supposed to be. And I think Job was looking for Jesus. Mm-hmm. He was like, Who's gonna do this? Well Jesus did. Mm-hmm. That's
0: good. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't God who was accusing him. Like God never accused him, even though it was his perception. Yeah, that's really good.
4: Yeah? Well, I okay. think Becky's question is kind of like Eliphaz and the other friends. Yeah. Are like, how can you, Job, be so arrogant yeah. to approach God in such such a way? Yeah. Know? Like, who, who makes you better? It, it was yeah. more of a hierarchical,
1: yeah.
4: you know, kind of like, wow, you are so confident in yourself. And, you know, that, that's <coughs> incredible arrogance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they, they have a hard time believing that maybe because they have a lot of shame, truly inside, you know. How yeah. someone be so confident that they're yeah. sin free from them. That's good.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important. Of like that hierarchy that you named. I remember growing up in, in my home church, there was a big controversy over when you prayed should you use thee and thou? you know or should you can you just talk to God with regular language which cracks me up a little bit now because it's like King James wasn't the dictated version of the Bible you know um, so but it's kind of that same idea right is it formality and you see that Ella has, and then you see like that childlike visceral response of Job in that that he's not cleaning it up for God and he's saying how he feels yes
4: Based on what uh, this gentleman was saying, it made me think of Jesus as Job and mm. the friends as the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. It seems very similar to, to the approach the Pharisees took in that, how dare you, shouldn't you be ashamed, how can you have this close relationship with God and
0: it
4: yeah. uh, doesn't, doesn't seem good Oh,
0: that's perfect. And it even talked about in the commentary I was reading about, this connects Isaiah 54 and the suffering servant Mm -hmm. which was prophetic of Jesus and so you had the suffering servant and and what they paralleled with both of those was that somehow through this travail, somehow by participating with God in all this suffering and this wrestling of the world that they emerge whole and healed on the other side. And so there's so much mystery in this that we can't we can't explain rationally, but there's something about that and that link to Jesus and the Pharisees. I hadn't thought about that, but you're exactly right of how strong a parallel that is between the friends and the Pharisees with Jesus. Oh, it's good. Anything else before we move to the next one? I just one more thing. Yeah, uh,
5: I think about like when people suffer and the situation of Job and his friend. You know. They're suffering because Job is suffering, so they're internalizing yeah. their experience. And suffering does bring on shame. Like, even mm-hmm. in ourselves, when we start to suffer, the first thing we start to do is, what am I doing? Like, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. And it to move from that place of shame, like Job did, having a relationship mm-hmm. with God prior to all that, mm-hmm. it really, the only thing we have when we have shame is grace. And that it's that sense of, like, God moving through our own, even if there are things that we could have done differently to avoid suffering, there's still that sense that the movement with God can, you know, it, it's His grace. Yeah. It's just His grace. And for us to be able to sit with others, it's a grace. And it's hard when you watch other people suffering, especially because of the consequences that they have. Like, there's things that they've chosen and how, how do we sit with people,
0: and how do we keep loving people? It's hard.
1: That's
0: it's hard. hard. Yeah, that's okay. Very hard. That is really good. Well, and to name too of you know what your name naming that grace. And um, I have a spiritual my spiritual director will often say of like when she prays over me to let me know the truest thing about me is that I am God's beloved child. It is that truth that we can work out of and that I mean that's grace. And I love I love what you said. That that's what breaks those tentacles. I always see shame as like sticky tar. And shame between, I don't know what we do, but yeah. even with our deep relationship with the Lord, shame is almost sort of a minute by minute basis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, and it even, I think it's so powerful that even in scripture it talks about that when Jesus went to the cross, that he broke the power of shame. Mm-hmm. Because I think that was so much of the death and shame, and it continues to be our struggle. But that's going to him and getting that affirmation that we are beloved children over and over and over again. That's the only thing. That keeps us pointed that way. Oh that's so good. Thank you. And shame I think for everybody. Is that root that root belief that we are not who God says we are. And we try to And we try not to. we try to avoid it others, we try to avoid it with ourselves. ourselves. (laughs) 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 At all costs. Like anything we can do to like run away from shame and we will do it. Well you look at it too, like even with Peter, like lying, you know, you will pretend we create all these false personas because of our shame, I mean, all of it comes out of there. That it's just like all those, those movements and things. Oh, I totally get that. I want to do a quote really quick because uh, this was actually in the commentary that I was looking at for this and it really uh, struck me of how I defined faith. And so faith manifests, manifests itself not in allegiance to a figure known to be there but in a naked and blind affirmation of what is unknown, yet which must be there if one's own truth ultimately matters. And so you see that in Job, of like this connection with God, but not understanding and being confused and being naked and vulnerable in that, that this is faith. We see that with Jesus going to the cross, Uh, we see that just throughout Scripture of like this is what faith is. It's that it's that I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what's going on, but I, I'm trusting you, and it's trust. And man, that is hard. Like all there's nothing about this whole book that's easy. Um, this is not the easy book, which I think is why I never studied it ever growing up. Like I got I got the two minute CBS synopsis of contests. <laughs> Uh, he gets double the, you know, the reward at the end. Even, like, that whole thing of, like, replacement children, that never sat right with me. And then, you know, especially being an adult, I was like, no, that's not the point of the story. (laughs) Like, this is totally not. And getting into it, I was like, no, this is not what this is about at all. But I think even the BBS synopsis was because people are so uncomfortable with suffering. They're so uncomfortable. They need to make it neat and clean. We need to, like, happily ever end like this story that is nothing about happily ever after. It's more about deep visceral pain and suffering and increase in faith and trust in God. And so, oh, we got to go. Um, I'll kind of do that one. Two minutes. Um, so I wanted to do a, a, a spiritual practice of self-empathy, and I will kind of go over it quickly. And this is something that's really helped me. I think we're really bad at practicing self-empathy. I think we can empathize with others really well, but we're really, really hard on ourselves. And so in our culture as well, we, we want to pretend like we don't have any needs. I think we see needs as weaknesses, and so that if we can just like distance ourselves from our needs, then we're somehow super strong, and we're not going to suffer, and we're not going to have any shame, which that makes it actually bigger. And so the whole process of self-empathy as a Christian spiritual practice is... To receive compassion from God because we cannot give compassion until we have received compassion from God. So until Eliphaz can receive compassion in some of his suffering, he cannot give that out to other people, as we see. So God suffers with us. There's a whole, you could do a whole class on Jesus becoming human, suffering with us, choosing to suffer with us in love instead of staying apart and distant from us, that he desires that connection so much that he came and lived. And you see throughout his whole life, there was nothing easy for Jesus. Like, he created everything, and nothing was easy for him. And so getting in touch with your your needs. And this sounds so easy, and it's so not, because we're so programmed to not think of our needs, to think of other people's needs. But to really get in touch with your needs, we have those physical needs, we have relational needs and I just want to name the relational ones because I think those kind of get bypassed in our culture too, of love, acceptance, understanding, community, mutuality, and then spiritual needs of forgiveness, hope, courage, trust, faith, integrity, and there's more. These are just kind of a starting point. But what in this practice of how you pray (coughs) is you get in touch with what am I needing, and we'll see our behaviors kind of shift, we'll get cranky. Anything that we we react to instead of respond, kind of indicates that, hey, there may be an unmet need under here. So that's how kind of you're checking engine life. And so sitting with that and asking God to show you, what am I needing? What need do I have that's not being met? And then letting that come up. And then when you can name the need, that is huge. God, I feel lonely. I need connection. And then in that prayer of asking God, hey, God, show me a time when I experience deep connection. And a key part of this, too, is noticing where you feel that in your body. Our bodies feel our emotions, and so sometimes we disconnect from that. So noticing where you feel that need in your body. Asking God to show you a time where you've had that need met. And then going back into that in your imagination. And then noticing the shift in your body. of Like, when you experience that, so I feel lonely. (coughs) God bring up a time where where my need for connection was met. I go back into a time when I'm, I'm singing with my daughter in the car, and I experience that. And when I'm when I'm reliving that emotion, when I'm remembering that experience, I'll feel that feeling in my body shift, and then taking that to God and letting God fill us up and, and meet those needs. Then that enables us to move out and do the things we're called to do, and so we can we can circle back and do that again but i wanted to kind of give you an overview that sometimes we don't think about our needs. Uh, there i had a spiritual practice for a year of every day i had to get up and write down what i needed from god and really needed. Not just like guide garden protect, You know not making fun of guide garden tech cuz that's good too but you know just thinking through what do i really need today? Or why am i rea- why am i why am i yelling at my kids or my husband? You know what is the need that i'm missing in there? And then being able to take that to God in two All right. Sorry. I'm going into the Thank you, guys. See you later. Bye.